I am in a sermon series uh, called Copy and Shadow. We talked last week about the tabernacle, and we started the tabernacle and how it points directly to Jesus and Jesus' finished work and Jesus' ministry. And we talked about the first item in the tabernacle when you first enter into the gates. You can put that, that, that slide up there of the, the, the picture of the tabernacle, the, the image or whatever that is, if you'd like to. I actually put the first one up that's on there. Yes, thank you. Uh, so this is just like a model. We talked about the altar of burnt offering. If you're moving in from the, from the right to the left, you guys got to deal with my, my photos. This is the best I can come up with. But you got the altar of burnt offering, and the very next step that you take is you take to the bronze laver. So we're going to cover the bronze laver today. But one of the things that I want to talk to you about is exactly what just came from my announcements. I want to talk to you about humility and about service. Because Jesus reveals something specifically when he ties some things into the bronze laver. And what he reveals to us is how important it is to be a humble servant in our lives. And I want to get to that in John 13 later on. It'll take me a minute to get there. But listen, here's, here's the thing. We live in a world where we really want to be first string and everything, don't we? Like if our kids play ball, we'll fight somebody if they ain't starting. Anybody amen me? Like fights break out all the time. My kid ought to be starting. You know, because we need the notoriety and we need the applause. And oftentimes, even in church, whenever it talks, whenever we get into church settings, we want to be up front. We want to be noticed. We want to be. And it's very difficult sometimes for us to take a back seat and do the things that are a little bit less seen. You know what I'm talking about? It's hard for me to clean toilets every week. I'm like, somebody get a photo. Let me get a photo up. Facebook right here. Look at Clay cleaning toilets. What a servant of God. You know, and post that all over. Because we want notoriety and we want applause for these types of things. But Jesus teaches us that to become a humble servant who does it for the Lord and for his kingdom, there's something in that that he wants to create in our hearts. And I believe that's what we have here. We have humble servants here that are willing to serve the Lord and go out of their way to do those types of things. I want to get into that. Let me look at a couple of other pics of the tabernacle. If you move to the next ones there for me, just real quick, because we're talking about the tabernacle. Now, here's an overhead view. When you would enter into the gates, they set up tents on the outside, and you'd enter in, and you see the altar is first, and we talked about that representing the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They would bring a lamb without spot and without blemish to the priest who would examine it, and if, the, and if it was perfect without spot, without blemish, they would lay hands on the lamb. My sin would be imputed to the lamb, and the lamb's righteousness or innocence would be imputed to me and then the lamb would take my punishment on the altar and be burnt there and therefore my sins would be forgiven and dealt with. But then once that happens, you move to the next spot which is the bronze laver. And on this particular thing, and I just wanted to show you, if you look on the inside, it's shaped in the shape of a cross. If you look on the outside, bird's eye view, the way they pitched their tents exactly was in the shape of a cross. Jesus was saying from the very beginning, my heart was always the cross. It's how I fully revealed myself. Because when I, lo I loved you so much that I came and I took your punishment, I took your place, I died for you, the cross was always God's plan. You say amen to that. Amen. Amen. So we want to move into this, and we're going to go to Exodus 30 just to start this out. And in Exodus 30, verses 17 through 21, God is giving Moses specific instructions for the tabernacle. And here's what he says. He says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. 
And not that city water because it's boil water advisory, right? <laughs> so they shall wash their hands and their feet. Notice this. Lest they die. It was pretty serious. And it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generation. Now the first point I want to give you right out of the gate is that the bronze laver, the bronze laver cleansed the priest for service. And so just like we said... The priest would come in and he would be working that altar, those sacrifices all day long, blood sacrifice after blood sacrifice after blood sacrifice. And I tell you something, I thank God that now we don't have a priest that goes to God for us. Because of the blood of Jesus, you have all become priests of the Most High God. That means you all have access to God. And guess what? You only have to offer the sacrifice of your worship, of your generosity, of your love and your service for other peoples because there's been a sacrifice offered for our sins once and for all that never need be offered again. The blood of Jesus has done the work and it is finished. Amen. But see, there's a representation here that once they have that blood sacrificed offered, they would move from the altar. Their hands would be dirty with blood, guts, and dirt, and all kinds of stuff. And before they entered into the holy place with God and moved closer into His presence, they had to go to the bronze laver to wash all of the defilements and the filth from their hands and from their feet. Otherwise, they could not enter in because if they entered in dirty, what would happen to them? They'd die, He said. He said it was, it was that serious. They were going to die because they would enter in in this specific place. Now, in that bronze laver, put the picture up of the bronze laver. Really, it's, this is maybe not completely accurate because they say that there, used to, there was a dip underneath where they could wash their feet as well. But this laver was made of bronze, obviously. And the priests would continually be bringing in what they called living water. And what this meant was that it was water that flowed from a spring that they would continually collect and they would always be replacing that water so that there would never be any dirt or defilement in it. It was a pure flow that continually came. And when he gave dimensions for how to build this, this was the only piece that he didn't give dimensions for. He, he, he didn't tell them how big it needed to be. And the reason being is because there is a cleansing for you that is continual and without limit. Somebody say amen. There's never no far enough where you can go where God still can't cleanse you. No many bad things you do that God still can't cleanse you. This continual cleansing would come in here time after time so that they could be cleansed as they entered into service for the Lord. So you have the altar, like I said, that was a sacrifice for sin. This represents our justification before God, right? So you go to the altar, you offer your sacrifice, and you were justified. What that meant was that your penalty for sin was paid for, and you were declared righteous before God. You stand in court, and it's like a judge saying, not guilty, never again. You can't even charge them with this crime again. It's been washed away, they've been forgiven, and it's done. You're justified before God. But how many of you know when you get saved, right? When you get saved, that's not the end. Nobody gets saved and says, well, I'm glad I got that took care of. Let's, let's, we'll, we'll go on about our lives. No, you have to continue on to the next stage. The next stage is the bronze labor. Thank God for His sacrifice, but God wants to bring us deeper into His presence and into a deeper relationship. And we don't just need cleansing from the blood, but we need a daily cleansing in our relationship with God. So we move on to the bronze laver. This represents our sanctification. Amen. Sanctification is this. Sanctification means to be set apart or to be made holy. God sets you apart in the beginning initially with His blood, but there is a continually setting apart by the Holy Spirit where He's setting you apart and saying, this is my child. He's separate from the world. He's different than the world. He lives holy and pure before me, and He comes up under this cleansing day by day so that I can make Him into my very image. See, we start here, but we don't stop here at the altar. 
we move on further to the bronze laver. And see, there's a guy named W.A. Criswell. He said this, The sinner comes to the altar, but the child of God comes to the laver. The sinner comes to the altar, but the child of God comes to a labor. You say, well, I've already been saved. I've already been to the altar, praise God, and I've, I've received that blood sacrifice. Yes, but you need to daily be coming to the labor for a renewal in your cleansing. When you come in here this morning and you hear the Word of God preached, it is a cleansing that takes place in your life through the Word of God because A, right, A, the bronze labor represents the Word of God. That's one thing that it represents. It represents a couple of things. I want you to hang with me. But one of the main things that it represents is the Word of God. Now, when this bronze laver, you read in Exodus, the way that they made the bronze laver was, get this, women. How many of y'all, you love your mirrors? How many didn't look in a mirror this morning? No hands going up. Everybody loves their mirrors, praise God. I didn't look at myself. Looking good. You know, and they get up there. Well, the women had all these bronze mirrors. They didn't have the same type of mirrors that they had. They had it made out of brass. They had these mirrors so that they could see their image. And when God calls them to to make this labor, you know what the women do? They offer up their mirrors so that they make this bronze labor out of their mirrors. Because sometimes in order to create and build God's kingdom, you got to make sacrifices. Amen. In order to build God's kingdom, every single one of us have to make sacrifices. And so they make this sacrifice and they build it. But when they would come over, the priest would come in. He would be filthy from all of the sacrifices. And he would stand over the laver and there would be, he would see his reflection in this because it would be water and it would be mirror underneath. And what he would see is he would see if there was any dirt on his face. He'd see if there was any dirt on his hands. And he would wash himself off while he was looking in the mirror. Now in the New Testament, James says that the law of liberty, the word of God is like a mirror. He says, when you read the Word of God and you forget and you don't obey the Word of God, you're like a man who looked in a mirror and forgot what he looked like and looked away. In other words, when you start reading the Word of God, the Word of God is going to be like you looking in a mirror and you're going to see things about yourself and see things in yourself that need to be cleansed, that need to be changed, that need to be transformed. He's saying when you come to this bronze labor, when you come to the Word of God, it comes to cleanse you. And here's what what Paul said in Ephesians 5 about it. We talk about the Word of God in Ephesians 5. Notice verse 25, he said, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 26, here's the important verse. That he might sanctify, notice that wordage there. He might sanctify, cleanse her, make her holy with the washing of the water by the Word. The Word of God is like a washing water that begins to wash away all the defilements. Now, what does that mean? Clay, I thought Jesus already paid for our sins. Uh, Why do we still need washed? And here's the reason why. Your sins need never be paid for again. Jesus did a perfect work on the cross, and you are forgiven, you're washed in His blood, past sins, present sins. It's all been washed away, right? He's dealt with it, but here's the problem. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, sometimes I still get a bad attitude. Sometimes I still don't act the way that I should. Sometimes maybe I commit an action that is sinful and I don't act properly. And sometimes I listen to some things that I probably shouldn't listen to. Sometimes people around me say some things I wish they didn't say. And by the end of the day, I feel heavy. I feel depressed. I feel defiled. And it's not that, 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 I've, that I've sinned in a way that I've lost my salvation or I'm no longer under the blood. I've been bathed by the blood, but I've picked up defilement on my hands and my feet. And I need to come into the laver in the water of God's Word to get renewed and restored and purified in my daily walk with God. 
It's one thing to be cleansed by the blood in the past. It's another thing to be daily cleansed by the washing of the water of God's Word. That's why it's so important to be hearing God's Word. Amen. But not just hearing God's Word on Sunday morning. It's important that you are getting in God's Word to get a bath every day. Man, some of y'all get stinky. Tell me, tell me water ain't important. We had people go days. You know, I, I talked to Jeremy last night. He said, boys, I'm out of water. I'm heading to Lexington, and we're going to go somewhere else. I said, I don't blame you, brother. I'd head out too. Because you've got to have water, folks. You're going to die if you don't drink it. And if you're like me, man, and you go a day without a shower, it looks like somebody dumped bacon grease all over your head. <laughs> Anybody been there? See, you, and it, the same thing goes for your spirit. When you don't have that washing of the water of the Word, all of a sudden you start to get filthy and greasy and you're weighed down and you feel nasty and you feel defiled and you need to get in the Word to be sanctified by this. There was a man in the Old Testament named Naaman. I don't know if y'all remember this guy named Naaman, but he was a commander of an army that was actually against Israel. He killed some Israelites, but he became leprous and he had a servant that was a Jewish servant and she said, look, there's a prophet down in Israel. He'll heal you if you go to him. And so he got his stuff packed up. He went down to Elisha. Before he even comes in, Elisha says, just go out there and tell him to dip in the, in, in the Jordan River seven times. And well, he was, he was just upset. He should come out and speak to me. And why should I dip in the Jordan River? We got rivers where I'm from that are more clean than this river. And he gets all mad. And one of his servants come up and said, listen, Naaman, you got leprosy, bro. Like, why not try out what the prophet says just to see? And he said, you know what? You're right. I'm in bad shape. I'll humble myself. And he goes and he dips seven times in the Jordan River. And when he comes up, he's cleansed. It's a picture of the exact same thing that you need to continually, seven times. Seven represents perfection. It represents completion. That you are under a continual flow of the washing of, 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 of the water of God's Word. And if you are, it is going to cleanse you of your defilements. It will even heal you, spirit, soul, and body. Mentally, you've got things that you've been struggling with. I'm telling you, you need a cleansing of the water of God's Word. You need to get in there and see yourself in the mirror of God's Word. You need that cleansing flow to come to renew your mind, and your mind will begin to change, and all of a sudden, depression will lift. Anger will break. Addictions will cease. Things will change simply because you read your Bible, but you don't read it like a checklist type thing. You read it understanding that you're seeing Jesus in it, you're seeing yourself in it, and He is cleansing you in that moment. The water of God's Word cleanses us, folks, and we need it more than everything. See, he comes, and I want, I want you to understand something about Naaman. Doing the natural precedes the supernatural. This is why sometimes, honestly, like a lot of times we get in the church rut, like we're, and a lot of people come from different backgrounds where I know you didn't do anything. Like you didn't raise your hands, you didn't come to an altar to pray, you didn't sing out loud, like you didn't do anything. Sometimes doing something in the natural precedes God doing a supernatural work in you. And I know that may sound weird, but it is throughout Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture does the Word of God, or even in the New Testament, say, you know what you need to do? You need to just sit very still and keep everything stored in your mind and be very intellectual about everything. It never says that one time. It talks about being wholehearted, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And when you begin to move out in the natural, God starts to... Do the supernatural in your own heart. Amen. Amen. So this slavery, it was open all the time. You know, Hebrews 5.14, talking about the Word of God, here's what it says. It says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 
Something that happens with the Word of God that we need now more than ever is discernment is developed in you. I don't know if y'all realize this or not, but there's a lot of lies in the world. There's a lot of lies in the church. I remember reading a book, you know, sometimes I get on little, little bandwagons and books come out and I read different theologians from this camp and I read theologians from that because I want to know what everybody believes and what everybody's thinking about. And, you know, I got into this one guy and, and I was like, well, you know what, I like some of the stuff this guy's saying. This is pretty cool. And then I read one of his books and one of his books was called Lies We Believe About God. And this book is very interesting. I thought, well, I want to know the lies that we believe about God. But then he listed five particular things. Notice what he listed. He, he said this. He said, number one, here's one of the lies we believe about God. God is good and I am not. Well, guess what? That's actually true. I, don't, I, I was like, well, that's true. Why did he say that? Because Jesus said there's none good but God. You remember when he said that? So why is he saying this? I couldn't understand why he was saying that. Secondly, he said God is in control of everything. Now, I understood what he was saying because at, at the end of the day, there's a lot of bad things that happen and they are not a result of God's active working in the world, right? There's, there's Satan at work. There's sin at work. There's a lot of things that happen that God did not necessarily intend or it's not him causing it. But you got to understand that God ultimately is sovereign over all things. That even when the devil is at work, he knows it, he sees it, and he's able to turn it for good. Amen. So he is in control when you look at it from that perspective. He also said that God wants to be a priority in our life. Well, we all know that God does want to be a priority in our life. That's not a lie. And then he said, number, he said here's another lie. The cross was God's idea. Can I tell you this? The cross was always God's idea. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He saw you and I in our sin and he said, I'm going to reveal myself through the love of God that is in my heart and I'm going to give myself as a sacrifice on that cross. And then lastly, number five, he said, sin will separate us from God. He said, that's a lie. Well, guess what? The scripture says your sins have separated you from God. What the world needs to know is that we are all sinful. None of us are good. We've all sinned against God. It's a simple gospel message. And Jesus came to die in our place so that we could receive salvation. And we cannot have little things that feel good and sound good to move us away from the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Sin separates us from God and we need a Savior to save us. Amen. See, but we need discernment. Here's what uh, Dr. Al Mohler said. He said, the tragedy that evangelicals have lost the art of biblical discernment must be traced to a disastrous loss of biblical knowledge. Discernment cannot survive without doctrine. Some people have said to me before, Clay, how come you preach so long? I said, buddy, I believe that the only thing that's going to save the world is good, sound, biblical teaching. That means, that means when I come in here, I'm not interested in giving you a little, a little something where you can just go and not... I need you to see, be Bible-believing people. Because the only way that we're going to have fuel to resist the sways and the lies of the world that are coming into our lives day after day after day is if we have biblical knowledge and discernment to understand that's true and that's a lie. I know sometimes you get bored and I know that's why sometimes a lot of people want to serve in kids' church like three weeks because they're like, man, Clay, I just can't listen to him that long. I do why I'll I, I listen to him once a month. You know what I'm saying? I, other than that, I'm going to sit outside. I'm going to go over here and do kids' church. Praise God. I, but here's the thing. It's not about me. It's, it's about... You in the Scripture. You need discernment for yourself to break through these things. So B, let me give you this. B, the, the bronze labor not only represents the Word of God, but it represents the Holy Spirit. When they were in the Old Testament, they were following the tabernacle, and there was a pillar of cloud by day, and there was a pillar of fire by night over the most holy place. And you remember I told you, that thing would move. So they would pack up their tents, 
They would get their tabernacle and they would move and follow the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And as they're going through the wilderness for 40 years, right out of the gate, they come to a place where it's very dry. You ever get very dry in your life? You wonder, man, where's God at? I'm dry. I got saved, but I don't sense the presence of the Lord. And they said, man, there's no water out here to drink, just like everybody's been this past week, right? There's no water out here to drink. We need some water. And God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to go up on the mountain. I want you to take your staff and I want you to smite the rock. Now the New Testament says that that rock was actually Christ. And when he smote that rock, it was a picture of Christ being smitten on the cross. And when he hit that rock, water flowed out and all of the people had something to drink. And that water represented the Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus was smitten on the cross for us, guess what came? The Holy Spirit came out to you and I so that we could drink and we could be satisfied. And Jesus runs through these three aspects of the Spirit because we're working through the book of John, right? In John chapter 3, Jesus speaks specifically about being born of the Spirit. He talks to Nicodemus and he says to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now I want you to understand this. The only way you could go into the holy place, and if you remember that picture, like it was covered up. Nobody from the outside could see into the holy place, could they? Jesus said the only way you can see the kingdom of God is if you're born again. So they would experience this washing of regeneration. Then they could enter into the holy place to see the holy things of God. It's the same way with you and I. We need that cleansing, but to see, to see the holy things of God, to see the kingdom of God, Jesus said you must be born again. That means that in your sin, before you knew Jesus, you were dead in your, in your sins and trespasses. You had no desire for God, and God in His mercy, here's what He says in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He says, look, it's not because you did anything good that the Lord said, I'm going to bless you. It's because of His mercy He came after you. He breathed the breath of life in you and your dead spirit came alive all of a sudden. And He says, it's the washing of regeneration. Regeneration means that you become a new creation. You're not who you used to be on the inside. You're still you, but guess what? Now you're clean and you're new. Amen. Ezekiel says it like this, chapter 36, verse 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleannesses. He's literally making a reference to the bronze laver. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, the Holy Spirit does an initial work, and when He first comes into our lives at salvation, He cleanses us from our old idols. He gives us a new spirit, and not only that, He puts His spirit on the inside of us, and now guess what? The laws of God are now written in our hearts and in our minds so that we can be careful to follow Him. Amen. And I don't know about you, I, I want that in my life at all times. I want the Holy Spirit leading me and guiding me. Jesus moves on to John chapter 4 and He talks about being satisfied by the Spirit. Because He meets a Samaritan woman at a well and the Samaritan woman says this to Him in John chapter 4. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you what? Living water. 
He's referring to that living water that is a constant flow, a constant renewal, a constant washing. And you know, here's the thing about this woman. She comes out to that well to draw water. Why? Because she is thirsty. I don't, I don't know this, if this will fit. I may get fired at her. I'll make this reference. But when I worked at OBI, I got some folks here that work at OBI, but we get some good kids in there. I love it. And there was one time that this girl, there were some girls in my classroom, and this one girl was kind of hitting on this guy, and she was like, boy, you look good and all this. And one girl in the background said, Psh, girl, you thirsty. Like that right there. And I, and I, and I was like, what does that mean? And, I, and, and it came to my, this story came to my mind because this woman was thirsty, and what she's saying is she's desperate. Like she's de she wanting a relationship bad. And Jesus comes to this woman. She's had five husbands. And the man that she's with now is not her husband. And Jesus reveals that to her without condemning her, without being angry. He's basically revealing something that's in all of our hearts. We have a deep inner thirst. We need love. We need acceptance. And only Jesus can ultimately bring that. Man, we look for relationships. We look for sex. We try to numb it with drugs and alcohol. We, got, we want more money, more stuff, a bigger house. Why? Because we are thirsty, folks. We are thirsty on the inside. And Jesus said, if you would have known... I know you're thirsty, right? I understand that you're thirsty, but if you would have known the gift of God, you would have asked of me and I would have given you living water. And when you drunk that, you would have never thirsted again. You wouldn't be running from man to man to man. Look at some of you young people. I know you're going from one to another to the next, trying to find the right one. You need to come to Jesus and drink. And see, in John chapter 7, this is exactly what Jesus said. He talks about being filled with the Spirit. He talks about being born with the Spirit, satisfied with the Spirit. And in John 7, He talks about being filled with the Spirit. And He says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Once again, now this He said about the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He says, on the great day of the feast, this feast was the Feast of Tabernacles. They were celebrating the fact that for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness, and when they did, and, and, and it says over and over again, there was never a time where they didn't have shoes on their feet, where they didn't have clothes on their back. When they got hungry, it rained manna down from heaven. When they got thirsty, He poured water out of a rock. There was never a day that His needs were not met. There's sometimes in this church I get a little bit scared and I say, boys, I don't know if all of our needs are going to be met. But can I tell you this? There's never been a day that our needs have not been met. He'll use whoever He has to use in order to meet our needs. And He met their needs day after day after day. And their needs were met. And here's what Jesus is basically saying. He said, I know y'all are celebrating the fact that you got clothes on your back and shoes on your feet and food to eat and your kids are taken care of. But He said, if you're still thirsty... If you still got a good job and you got everything you need, but somewhere on the inside, something is still missing. He said, you're still thirsty. You need to come unto me and drink, and out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And he was speaking about being filled with the Spirit because at the end of the day, I promise you, nothing will ever satisfy you. Not money, not a relationship, not sex, not a better house, not a better car. None of those things are going to satisfy you. You need to have a relationship with Jesus where you come to Him on a daily basis and you drink deep from the Word of God, from the presence of God, from the worship of God. And he said, something is going to boil up in you and water is going to begin to flow out of you. You go down here and you hand out water and it'll flow right out of your belly. Amen. Amen. Praise God. See, Jesus, he, he was representing this bronze labor. Number two, Jesus symbolically cleansed the disciples for service. Now, I'm going to finish in John 13. This is where I've been trying to get the whole time. Because 
In John 13, he does something else with water very specifically. He's talked about water the whole time. He's been making reference in, in sort of like hiddenness about the bronze laver, about the washing, about the living water. But here in John 13, he symbolically cleanses the disciples for service. Here's what it says in chapter 13. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now what this does not mean is that he loved them to the end of his life. That word end there, it actually means the end goal. It means the de designed purpose. It's saying that He loved them to the point that He brought them to His goal for them, to His purpose for them. And now He's getting ready to send them off into their purpose. He is sanctifying them for service. He's cleansing them for service. He's setting them apart. But here's what I want you to understand is a big aspect of sanctification that people don't realize. When we talk about sanctification in the church, and again, like I said, that's just becoming more like Jesus. That's laying aside the things of the world, becoming pure, being clean before God, not being of this world, being separate, being set apart. But oftentimes when we think about that, we, talk, we think in terms of your self-effort, you trying harder, you doing more, you not wearing certain things, you not doing this, you not doing that. The greatest aspect of your sanctification, and he's revealing it right here in this first verse, is when you simply receive the love of Jesus Christ for you. When you know you're loved... It changes your behavior. Anybody. When you know you're loved, it changes your behavior. And so many Christians are fighting to be better, fighting to do better, and they have forgotten how loved they are by Jesus. And the reason they're struggling so much is they think a lot of times that God's angry at them, that God wants to punish them. Listen, you've come up under the blood, Christian. You're a saint of God. He loves you. You're, a, you're His own very child. Yes, He'll correct you when He needs to, but you need to know more than anything that you are the apple of His eye. That He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And see, actively receiving Jesus' love for you is what, what ultimately empowers you for service. The reason that I can get up week after week after week, sometimes I don't feel like it. i got to be honest with you, to do what God's called me to do. Every now and then we get a little bit burnt out, we get a little bit dried out. But what pushes me forward is Jesus' love for me. When He reminds me of what He did for me, and when He reminds me of how much that He loves me, I feel a fresh strength and a fresh power come into my soul. If you go to the, to the Last Supper, Peter and John and the other ten disciples were there. And John represents the grace of God because his name, Yahanin in the Hebrew, literally means the grace of Yahweh. The grace of Yahweh. He represents grace. Peter, his name means stone. Jesus gave him that name, Petros, stone. The law was written on the tablets. He represents the law and he represents self-effort. And so John at the Last Supper is reclining and the scripture says he's leaning on Jesus' bosom, just laying there, listening to his heartbeat. Can you imagine that? Just laying there listening to Jesus' heartbeat. And three times in the book of John, John calls himself, it's very interesting, he's writing about himself and he doesn't call himself by name. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, do you think that Jesus actually loved John more than he loved you or Peter or anybody else? No, he didn't love him anymore. He didn't love John anymore. But John had a unique relationship with Jesus. And John was more aware of Jesus' love for him. Peter, on the other hand, he fought tooth and toenail to demonstrate to Jesus, man, I love you, Jesus. I'll die for you. I'll go all the way to death. And you know what? Because of his own self-effort, Jesus said, no, Peter, I say unto you that tonight you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. 
Now, he's boasting in his own strength, his own ability, but John's just resting on on the bosom of Jesus, just knowing that he's loved, nothing else. And at the end of the day, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, Peter has denied Jesus three times, and where is John at? John is the only disciple sitting there at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother comforting her, and Jesus looks down on John and said, Mother, your son. Son, your mother to John. Why was he there? Because he knew Jesus loved him. Peter spent all of his time trying to love Jesus. You can spend your time trying to love Jesus, and I'm telling you what you need to do is come to a place where you realize that Jesus loves you. It's not about your own strength. You're never going to muster it up. You're never going to have the energy. You're never going to have the strength. You are weak, and you need Jesus to come and love on you. And that's what he said. He loved them unto the end. And see, the hour had come, and he's about to sanctify them for service. John 13, verse 2, it says, And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. And after that, notice this, he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. What is Jesus doing when he washes the disciples' feet? Because this is a very interesting thing that we just... We, well, there's so many things in the Bible, we just read it and take it for granted. Yeah, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, but you have no idea what was really going on here. Because this is intense. A, I want to give you the first point of what was going on. is Jesus is just simply demonstrating humility. He's demonstrating humility to his disciples. Because... Jesus is God. He created the world, the universe, the stars, everything that is, and He's sitting there in their presence having a meal with them. I don't know what you'd do if you actually had a meal with God, but you'd probably be pretty reverent, I would imagine. And they're sitting there having a meal with Him. He's God, but He's representing to them something amazing because the washing of the feet was for the lowest of servants. Matter of fact, an ancient rabbi said this, A disciple must render to his teacher... All the service that a slave renders to his master except the loosening of his shoes. In other words, we could say, well, the disciples should have been washing Jesus' feet. Well, according to ancient rabbinic literature, the disciples didn't even wash their master's feet. They wouldn't even touch their shoes because it was a sign of shame. You didn't touch somebody's feet. You didn't put somebody under your feet. It was a sign of shame. So not even the disciples were low enough to wash Jesus' feet. But Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to show you what true humility is. I'm this far above you, exponentially above you, but yet I'm going to come under you and I'm going to do what even a slave will not do. I'm going to wash your feet because I'm going to demonstrate humility. And he's talking about humble service. What he's saying is, look, the hallmark of the ministry that I'm getting ready to give you is humble service. Amen. See, when people went out this week and they were willing to humble themselves and say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get some stuff cleaned up and help somebody out and do this or that, Jesus is saying that's the hallmark of the Christian ministry, to humble yourself and serve one another in love the best that you can. And B, here's the second thing that Jesus does when he washes their feet, is he sets them apart for service because when he brings out that basin, what do they see right out of the gate? They see the laver. They know about the labor. They go to the temple all the time. They understand that the labor is there. And you say, well, no, man, maybe their feet were really, really dirty. They had already cleansed themselves in a ritual called the mikvah where they were already clean. Their feet would have been clean. 
So why is he washing them again? Because he's doing what the bronze laver did for the priests. And he is cleansing them to go into the holy place to serve. And Jesus needed them to know that, listen, there's a switching taking place right now. No longer is there a priesthood that enters into the holy place. You are now the priests of God. I am the high priest. I'm about to offer the sacrifice. And I need you to come to the bronze laver because I'm about to sanctify you for service. Because you need to go out into the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. And when you go, you need to love on people in a radical way. And what you need to demonstrate to them is that you are humble enough to get down on your hands and knees and come up under them and serve them so that all the world knows my nature and my character. I'm the one who's willing to lay down his life for you. That's what Jesus is trying to teach them. He's sanctifying them for service. He is preparing them for service. And here's what it says in verse 6 through 11. I love this. It says, Then he came to Simon Peter, and notice Peter. He's always, you know, gun-ho about everything. Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He was always over the top. I like that guy. (laughs) Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Now, Peter had a difficulty letting people serve him, and he wouldn't humble himself. But see, Jesus said, he that is bathed needs only to wash his feet. It's exactly what we were talking about with the laver and the altar. He's saying, you've been bathed in the blood. You're already clean, but you still need to wash your feet. You still need to keep your hands clean. Because daily, you're picking up defilements. You're washed once in the blood, but you need a continual washing of the word. You need a continual coming to me in relationship and letting the Holy Spirit cleanse you and refresh you and renew you. You need, this, you need this strength of the Word and the Holy Spirit in your life to do this work. And so it says in verse 12, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I've done unto you. And Jesus is showing them something visually. And just like I said before, basically he's saying, the same way that I've stooped down, even though I'm up here above you, I've stooped down to show you that what humble service looks like. And he said, you need to do this to one another. You need to be willing to lay down your life to one another, humble yourself, and do some of the dirtiest of jobs. But here's the thing. Now, I'm going to finish up right here. But when we talk about service, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard to play second fiddle, isn't it? It's, it's hard to be in the background because it's like nobody comes in and says, Clay, listen, I want to do everything that I can possibly do. I want to clean your toilets. I want to do everything that I can do for you, whatever I can do, but I don't want any notoriety. Don't tell anybody what I'm doing. Don't let it. No, that's the opposite. We got something in our hearts that's deep down and embedded in there that, listen, we, we'll, we'll serve, but we ask ourselves, what's in it for me? Somebody amen me, right? And it's, and it's increasing more and more in our lives. But it's, it's human nature because even when we're kids, I remember being a kid, you know what I'm saying? If I'm hitting a ball, I'm like, Dad, watch this, you know? Boom, and then you break something you wish you hadn't been watching. But you want, you want to be watched. You want to be seen for the good things that you do. And Jesus dealt with the motive of our hearts with why we do what we do and why we serve. But I got a couple of quotes and I'm going to finish up. But Donald Whitney said this. He says this about it. He said, if I have to serve, I want to get something for it. Right? Somebody amen. 
I mean, if I serve, maybe they'll give me a T-shirt. I don't know, something. If I can be rewarded or gain a reputation for humility or somehow turn it to my advantage, then I'll give the impression of humility and serve. And basically he's saying, I'll serve as long as people recognize me. And right now Facebook is making that very easy for everybody. I told somebody I'm looking for a photo op. You know what I'm saying? If I can get somebody to, while I'm doing my work, you know, get somebody to take a picture of me and post it so I can look real humble. I mean, amen, seriously, right? I'm not, try, I'm not really trying to convict everybody. I understand Facebook's a good thing, and sometimes it's very good to celebrate with people and say, look, look at what we're doing for one another in the community, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what I'm saying is Jesus was basically saying, you need to check your heart. Why do you serve? Do you do it to develop a reputation that I'm a humble servant, or do you do it because you love the Lord and you want to come up under people and bless people that are broken? Are you willing to not let your right hand know what your left is doing? Are you willing to take a back seat where nobody sees you? There are people that serve in this church that never get any notoriety, that do all kinds of things. I got people like Richard Jones. Man, he does more for me than you could ever imagine. Never, nobody ever sees him do it. And one time he was upset because he was like, man, I wish I could just do something that was valuable, like maybe be on the worship team or this or that. He said, I ain't got no talents. I was like, buddy, if I didn't have you, I'd be dead right now. You do so much behind the scenes that nobody sees and you do it without ever wanting any notoriety. That's amazing to me. People that will do things without ever wanting any notoriety, any build-up, anything like that. But see, it's tough playing the second fiddle. There's one other guy, my last quote. He said, in some way, Richard Foster says this, in some way we would prefer to hear Jesus called to deny father and mother, houses and land for the sake of the gospel than his word to wash feet. He's saying, we'd rather hear Jesus say, deny everything than to wash somebody's feet. And he said, radical self-denial gives the feel of adventure. If we forsake all, we even have the chance of glorious martyrdom. But in service, we are banished to the mundane, the ordinary, the trivial. He's saying, man, it would be better if we just went and left all and went and got killed because then everybody would be like, wow, they, got, they were martyred for Christ. Isn't that amazing? But what's harder is to do some of the smallest tasks, some of the smallest jobs, to clean somebody's toilet, to go and clean up somebody's house, to go and do these things that nobody's even going to know you did and get no notoriety, no reputation, no notice. You do it out of the pure genuineness of your heart. And you, you and God and them's the only one that knows. He said, that's the stuff that I'm made of. That's what Jesus is made of. That's the stuff that I do. Jesus didn't go around looking for notoriety. Matter of fact, he tried to hide from it. I feel like today people think that Jesus would have come around and been like, listen, John, I'm about to go to the cross. Have your phone ready. We need to post this up to let everybody know what's going on. Matter of fact, I'm going to go heal some people today. When we get done, we'll post it to Facebook. 57 healed today. We'll let everybody know how much of a humble servant I am. Anybody amen me right I know it stings a little bit. We're all this way, aren't we? I'm this way. I want you to see how awesome I am. I hope when I get done preaching today, everybody's like, gosh, Clay's such a good preacher. Wow, that's amazing. We want that. Somebody get a picture of me and post it on something and say, gosh, he's amazing. I can't get enough of him. That's what's in all of our hearts, isn't it? It's in mine. I'm not saying this to put you down. It's in all of our hearts. What I'm saying is Jesus is sanctifying us for service and saying, I'm calling you to something different. I'm calling you to do it when it's just me that knows. What will you do when only the Lord knows? 
when nobody else knows but the Lord, what will you do? Do you got to have somebody else to see it? Will you sing to the Lord? Will you sing to the Lord when nobody else hears? All of these things, Jesus is calling us into a humble service. See, Jesus doesn't just save us from something, but he sanctifies us for something. And here's one of the things that I love about Jesus. He's not saying, I'm just saving you from sin, but I'm bringing you into service. I need you to act on my behalf. This church and what God is doing in our community and even in other churches, what God wants to do in Clay County and Southeastern Kentucky is going to be dependent upon how many people are going to be willing to say, I'll serve. We'll never go where God wants us in God's will, just like, like he was singing, Lord, let your will be done here today. We'll never get there without every person saying, I will humbly serve and do the least of the tasks that it takes in order for it to be done. Sometimes you've got to clean a toilet just for things to function, right? And sometimes when, you, when you're called to these things, the big, the, you know, right now this morning, there are people right now, they're not getting any notoriety. They're back there wiping babies' butts so that you can come in here and worship God. And that doesn't get a lot of notoriety, but man, that's big. That's huge. And so what I'm asking you is what I believe that Jesus is asking us. I'm asking you to go all in. I'm asking you to say, you know what? Church is not about me just receiving. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. I got to figure out a way not only to give in our community, but right here in our church, right here locally, right here with my neighbors, right? Just everywhere in our community, in the church. How can I serve? How can I take a, take a back seat and say, I'm not looking for notoriety. I just, want, I just want to advance the kingdom. And here's the thing. You think some things are less than, they are not. Scripture says very clearly that the things that you think are less than are actually more weighty because without them, the body falls apart. You know what I'm saying? If you don't have fingers on your hand, you ain't going to be able to grab much you got to have every digit. And we need all of you. I need all of you. Jesus needs you specifically. You say, well, I don't have any gifts. I don't have any talents. I don't have you have something to offer the Lord. And he's calling you into that. And, you know, when we talk about washing people's feet, it's easy to wash. It'd be easy for me to wash most of y'all's feet. You know what I'm saying? I love you guys. I'd wash your feet. I wouldn't want you washing mine. I don't like my feet touched. Side the point. I get goofy sometimes. My bad. Stay on track, Clay. This is the closing. But Jesus goes one step further because he doesn't just wash his 11 disciples' feet. He washes the feet of a man that he knows is about to betray him so that he's going to be killed. And the question he's asking is not only why do you serve, why do you do what you do, but would you be willing to do it to your enemies? Would you be willing to come up under your enemies and wash their feet when you know they've talked awful about you? When you know they've done bad to you? When you know they've betrayed you? When you know they've hurt you? Jesus says, I'm calling you as the body of Christ up higher. I'm calling you to serve your enemies. And I'm telling you, in order for that to take place, we don't need to just come to the altar and be washed in the blood, but we need to hear God's word to us and be cleansed with the washing of the water of the word and say, Lord, I'm willing to serve. Amen. We've got opportunities for people to serve here, and there's opportunities in our community right now for you to serve. But I want you to stand to your feet right now. We're going to pray together. I want you to just bow your head right where you're at. Close your eyes just for a moment. Let the Lord speak to you. Let the Spirit begin to move in your heart. And Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing, and we thank you for what you're doing in all of our hearts and in all of our minds. And Lord, right now, we just surrender our lives to you. 
Jesus, if there's anybody in here that does not know you, that has not yet come to the altar to receive your sacrifice for sins, your forgiveness and your love, to have the salvation that only you bring by your grace, God, I pray that you would pull them right now in their heart. If that's you and you say, I need to give my life to Jesus, I need to receive that salvation, I need to be born again, would you just as an act of faith, just raise your hand, just let it be known, just raise your hand. Nobody's looking except me right now. Anybody, just raise it up, let me see it. I see one. Anybody else? Now for the rest of us, I believe that every single one of us are being drawn right now in some, some, some shape, some form, some fashion. And say, Lord, I've served you, but I want to go deeper, and I want to go for, with pure motives. I want to do it for the right reasons. I want to do it because it's for you, Jesus. So I pray right now, just ask you, say, Holy Spirit, purify my heart. Show me what you're calling me to. Who can I serve? In what capacity can I serve? Lord, give me your heart. The same way, Jesus, that you washed your disciples' feet is how you've called me to come up under others and wash them. So do something special in our hearts and help us to lead with humble service and love like we never have before because, God, we believe you're doing something in our community. God's starting something. I believe right. I believe today is a marker for it for some reason. I feel like today is significant. I feel like today is the day where something begins to turn and something begins to change. And we realize what God has called us to in our community to bring about change. So, Lord, we just ask you to do it. And we trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, we're going to worship one last song. I want you to just respond to the Lord. You can come to this altar for prayer. If you need prayer, I'll put my mask on. I'll pray for you. Bless God. But if you need prayer, it's important to respond to the Lord. But I want you to just worship with us. Let's pray. Let's seek the face of the Lord together.